Welcome to another episode of MR Meets. Today's episode will be a bit different because we welcome a fellow McGill student, Abel Dico, who just graduated with his Joint Honors Political Science and African Studies program and was recently named a 2021 Rose Scholar from McGill along with Fionn Hughes. Thank you for coming on the show, Abdel. Thank you, Matthew, for having me. Really appreciate it. So uh, how did you uh, end your year? Yeah, I mean... Just like for everyone else, it was a tough year this year uh, with online classes. And I was fortunate enough, I only had one semester left. So I finished during the fall semester. A lot of remote classes, I had five courses during the fall. And at the same time, I was going through the application process for the Rhodes Scholarship, the preparing. And uh, yeah, it was a tough semester, a lot of Zoom classes, a lot of screen time. But I mean, I can't complain really much. I mean, I'm healthy, my family's healthy. and. That's mostly what matters to me. That's great. And Abdel, can you tell us a little bit about your background and your time at McGill and what made you choose McGill in the first place? Oh, yeah, for sure. So I was born and raised in the beautiful country of Cote d'Ivoire on the West African coast. And uh, that was a country that was at the time um, embroiled in the civil war. So in 2007, my family made the decision to immigrate to Canada So my dad first came to Canada and then the rest of my family followed uh, shortly after. And we arrived in 2007 in January in the middle of the winter. And uh, since then, I've lived in Montreal and Ottawa. So I went to high school in Ottawa, did my high school there. Um, after completing high school, I went to the University of Ottawa for my first year. And following one year at the University of Ottawa, I made the decision to apply to McGill for a transfer. So um, when you come from Ontario, you do high school, it's 12 years. And then if you transfer to Montreal and Quebec schools, normally you have to do a U0. But since I did my first year at the University of Ottawa, um, my credits were actually transferred over to McGill. So I entered McGill in U1 and uh, had to complete three more years of university at McGill. Uh, the decision to come to McGill was, one, because I wanted to come back to Quebec and Montreal. Montreal was the first city that I discovered when I came to Canada, and it's a city that uh, I hold dear to my heart. It's a beautiful city with a beautiful culture. And of course, as a Francophone, um, the French language is also attractive to me. But at the same time, of course, the prestige of the institution as well um, drew me to McGill. I thought that I would gain you know, a quality education with uh, world leading professors and great set of classes. And um, I noticed as well that at McGill, there was um, the African Studies program, which is one of the oldest in Canada. And um, when I first started at the University of Ottawa, I was doing political science. And it was a combined program that was joint with law school. So after uh, the first two years, you would enter law school. But um, I decided to switch to McGill and still continue in political science and then um, pursue African studies as well, because I noticed during my first year that I was really interested in African politics and um, development matters as they pertain to the African continent. As an African myself living in Canada, it was important to me to discover, you know, African history, discover um, the dynamics related to African politics, um, conflict, and uh, things that, that really matter to my life as well. So that's what, um, that, that, those are some of the things that, um, that brought me to McGill. And um, yeah, of course, the student environment and a few people that I knew from my high school that also went to McGill. 
And what was your first experience like when you came to Canada? Was integration easy as a francophone? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, I perfectly, I was fluent in French. So the integration was not very difficult in terms of um, the classroom. Uh, we were given a test of French language, which I don't even understand the point of it because uh, Ivory Coast is a Francophone country. Right. And I always went to um, French schools, etc. So um, for me, it was not difficult at all in terms of adjusting to the education system. It wasn't difficult either. I mean, the, the school that I attended in Côte d'Ivoire was actually much more rigorous and challenging. And I noticed that um, coming here in the fourth grade, it was actually easier in terms of like um, the level of math and French. It was uh, much less advanced than what I had experienced in Côte d'Ivoire. So that was not uh, very hard to adapt. But of course, you know, uh, having um, not experienced winter very much before coming here, it was definitely a shock. And coming in the middle of a brutal winter at the time, it was definitely something that um, needed adjustment. Um, but in terms of the culture and everything else, I mean, when you're a child, it's not um, the hardest time for you to adapt. And it's actually much easier than your parents, for example, because very quickly you make friends. And I arrived in a very multicultural context in Côte de Neige in Montreal, which is a highly um, immigrant population for the most part. And um, it was easy to connect with people with similar cultures and backgrounds, while at the same time, um, fully immersing myself in the culture of Quebec, of course. And um, yeah, I felt like for my siblings and I, it was not too challenging to adapt to our new environment. And um, yeah, so it was quite a smooth journey on that end. But um, of course, uh, the usual challenges of immigrants coming into a new context in a new environment that they don't know um, for families, it comes with its set of challenges, of course. And at McGill, what kind of extracurricular activities and internships did you, did you partake in? Oh, so that was actually what made McGill such a wonderful experience for me. Uh, when I first arrived at McGill, I felt like I needed to engage in the beautiful student environment that was there. Um, McGill is a very dynamic school in terms of um, the amount of extracurriculars that are available when you go to the usual um, semester activities night, you notice the numerous uh, amounts of student clubs and activities. So I first engaged in activities that I that I had started at the University of Ottawa. So one of them was the Jeu de la Science Politique. So essentially this is a inter-university uh, political science competition um, across Quebec and Canadian schools in French. And uh, that was one of the ones that I first connected with because I already knew the McGill delegation, um, having been a part of the U Ottawa delegation at the time when I was at U Ottawa, we had won uh, the games at the time in my first year. And when I transferred to McGill, it was um, a community that I um, directly connected with because I knew some of the members already. So I decided to join that delegation and um, at the time, I took on a leadership role in my first year as I came. And um, that was an awesome experience. Um, 
leading that delegation. Um, of course, it's academic and sporting competition, and you have to um, essentially train your delegation through um, each discipline. Uh, there's debate, there's public speaking, there's uh, negotiations, model UN style. And also, yeah, so I took, a, I took part in ISM's um, model UN uh, not the delegation, but uh, the the conference, so McMahon. And uh, that was also an awesome experience. And I was also involved at the time. I decided to run for a leadership position within the Black Students Network. And eventually I was elected as the vice president political coordinator. So that was an awesome experience. In my second year, I took on that leadership role. And for me, it was truly important to connect with Black students at McGill. Um, we are a good community and we are pretty tight-knit. We know each other, um, not as much as we would like to, but um, it was great engaging with Black folks at McGill coming into a very you know, white institution predominantly. It was awesome to see that um, you can find a community here and you can find people who have your best interests at heart. And the BSN for me was that organization that I connected with and being a part of the executive in my second year was a truly formative experience as well. Um, I got to host um, some panel events. I hosted one on systemic racism and discrimination in Canada and Quebec at the time. Of course, it was before this new wave of reckoning with um, systemic racism and anti-Black racism. And I held this conference during Black History Month, organized it from the beginning, planned it, and invited some experts to talk about the topic, um, leading experts from sociologists to um, people in civil society and um, political activists. And it, it was really a wonderful experience to be able to organize such, such a conference at the time on such an important topic. And of course, today it is... Um, in the news and everyone is talking about it, but it has always been very relevant to black people, of course, giving our lived experiences and especially at McGill. So that, that was an amazing experience uh, in and of itself. And beyond that, um, partaking in Black Students Network activities and making sure that uh, McGill University is a safer place for black students to attend and to thrive in uh, was truly fulfilling for me. And um, beyond that, you know, as an African and someone that's interested in African politics and matters pertaining to the African continent, I also took part, of course, in um, many organizations on campus and student-led um, clubs relating to Africa. Um, I was uh, vice president academic of the African Studies Students Association, which was a truly amazing experience as well last year. And uh, I also was the director of speaker relations for the This Hotel's African Business Initiative. And last year we held our sixth annual business and development conference and we invited um, a, f uh, a brilliant list of, um, of speakers from the Minister of Finance of Somalia to the former Deputy Prime Minister of Zimbabwe, Arthur Mutambara. And we benefited a lot from um, the community at McGill who stood behind us into the organization of this wonderful event. And in terms of internships as well, I truly benefited at McGill from uh, brilliant internships through the arts internship office. So huge shout out to them. They 
provide absolutely amazing opportunities for art students at McGill. And um, so the first one that I did was with um, Shraj. So this is the Commission for Human Rights and Administrative Justice in Ghana. So that was uh, last summer, uh, not last summer, two summers ago um, in 2019. So I went to Accra, Ghana, and I was a human rights and research intern there. And that was truly a wonderful experience, um, being able to conduct um, human rights research from a national institution, an institution that's doing so much for the advancement of good governance and democracy in Ghana. And you know, of course, that Ghana is one of the countries on the African continent right now that's uh, consolidating its democracy and that's um, being a leader um, within a very conflict-prone region, and that's leading by example. And I noticed that it's due to such institutions um, that Ghana was able to do what others uh, on the African continent currently are struggling with. And an institution like this that's promoting and protecting the fundamental human rights of its citizens is so important. And I, I was able to work on um, the annual human rights uh, research report for Ghana. So that was a lot of statistical analysis, but also qualitative research. And um, I was also able to um, tag along with some lawyers uh, at, at the commission to investigate uh, cases of human rights abuses. And you could see that, you know, for a developing country, um, the institution that they were able to to strengthen uh, with very little means is um, an institution that has a lot of impact, right? But um, it is not necessarily the most funded institution. And also in terms of um, foreign aid, you know, when you think about foreign aid, it's not such institutions that they are looking to fund. Mostly it's NGOs that are, you know, Canadian or American, et cetera. But usually um, like our, um, foreign aid organizations here don't necessarily engage as much as they should with such national institutions who are doing such brilliant work. So that that was an amazing experience. Um, as a person, I it was important for me also to um, to go on the continent and beyond my studies to see what what it's like working there as well and not just going for vacation. And um, so that was a brilliant internship opportunity that I benefited from. And then last summer, I also applied for the internship for the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. And um, I eventually got the internship and I was able to do the internship in person, although it was during COVID, but we followed, you know, public health guidelines and it was a small office in Montreal. And that was also such a brilliant and formative opportunity for me um, to learn about, you know, the international uh, refugee regime and how Canada's refugee protection system works and the role of the UNHCR as a leading, you know, expert authority uh, within the work of, you know, protecting the fundamental human rights of refugees and asylum seekers and um, people of concern to the UNHCR, such as stateless people. And especially during COVID, when there was, you know, um, the closing of borders and there was new policies being implemented that were fundamentally going to obstruct the asylum rights of refugees. Um, it was truly 
amazing to see what the UNHCR was doing internally. And um, of course, the summer was also one of reckoning um, in terms of racial relations in North America and the world in general. So um, as a Black person working for such an institution, it was also important for me to make sure that um, this was something that was being considered by the institution that I was working for. So internally, this is something that I advocated for, um, for a more open conversation about what was going on in the world and beyond the work that we do. How is it that this is not discussed to the extent that it maybe should. So for me, it was important to talk about those matters internally as well. And eventually, um, such conversations eventually led to actions being taken internally and externally for the UNHCR in Canada. And I was truly happy to see that happening, um, especially during such a traumatic and um, important summer in terms of reckoning with uh, matters of racial justice. Um, especially as it relates to refugees in Canada as well, who happen to be at the intersection of, um, you know, prejudice based on their race, but also based on their immigration status in the country. So all in all, those were two brilliant internship opportunities that I got to experience in my time at McGill. And um, of course, um, while applying for the Rhodes Scholarships, these were opportunities that have helped my application, of course. And these are things that um, that I was able to discuss during my interviews and um, during the process of applying. It's, it's something that uh, is a part of who I am today. And of course, it was truly important to, to discuss those matters. That's really interesting, Abdul. And so can you explain what made you interested in the Rhodes Scholarship Program and what you would be studying at Oxford? Of course. So the Rhodes Scholarship Program, um, I knew about the Rhodes for a while. I, would, I wouldn't say that before high school, I even knew what it was. But coming into McGill, I really found out about it through, um, actually it was through an introductory to African studies um, class that I took at McGill. And we we're talking about the context of decolonizing education and um the Rhodes Must Fall movement was eventually presented in the class and we were learning about the history of, you know, Cecil John Rhodes and what he did in Southern right. Africa. And uh, of course, that's that's how really the Rhodes Scholarship came into my mind. It was in the context of the Rhodes Must Fall movement, which is quite interesting. And um, I knew that, uh, of course, this was something that could be potentially accessible to me at the end of my at the end of my studies and um, I eventually got to meet some former well some some road scholars who have won it in Quebec and also um, throughout the world as well and talking to those people and understanding how you know they cope with the legacy of the scholarship and what made them want to apply and what are some things that as road scholars, um, they have been able to do with the fact that, you know, they have access to these opportunities now. And Oxford was on my radar um, for the last two years. I knew that I wanted to apply to the UK to do my master's and I was looking for opportunities uh, that would help me finance these studies there. So um, the roads eventually came up again. And um, 
I made the decision this summer that I would apply and I consulted with a few people that I knew would be able to guide me through the application process. As I said, um, when we held the conference, um, the African Business and Development Conference, we um, invited a special guest uh, who was Arthur Mutambara, uh, who's a former deputy prime minister of Zimbabwe, and he's a Rhodes Scholar. Um, he attended Oxford back in the 70s, I believe. And um, he's someone that, you know, as someone from Zimbabwe, former Rhodesia, uh, named after Cecil John Rhodes, he's someone that had to cope with that legacy as well, and that had to redefine it, and that had to, um, you know, take this, you know, huge opportunity and try to maximize it for his own people and give back to the community that maybe Cecil John Rhodes has disenfranchised and disempowered and um, grapple with those legacies as well. So talking to him and having that conversation about the scholarship and he motivated me to apply. He told me that, of course, um, I had the profile that the Rhodes Scholarship was looking for in terms of the criteria that they look for in Rhodes Scholars. And um, when I had a look at the Rhodes website, I noticed that, you know, these were some things that um, meant a lot to me in terms of who they are looking for, for candidate, people who are looking to fight the world's fight, um, commit to social justice, who are impatient with the status quo of the world and who are doing things to have a tangible impact on the world and for good. And um, in terms of the broad selection criteria, the Rhodes Scholarship is looking for a candidate that, ha that has proven um, academic excellence, which in my case, I had to look at my syllabus and my record and I thought, okay, I, I might fit that. And um, another criteria is energy to use your talents to the full. So that could include anything as far as debating or uh, dance, theater, artistic pursuits, sports. And um, that was also something that I could see myself fitting in. And another one is truth, devotion, and sympathy for others and protection for uh, the weak, unselfishness and fellowship, and really commitment to public service. And they are really looking for candidates who are committed to public service and who want to have a tangible impact on the public sector and on people's lives. And I really thought that these were values that meant a lot to me. So I thought, why not? You know, I'll give it a shot. Uh, if it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, well, at least I tried. And of course, you know, there's there's barriers to applying, you know, when you look at the website and former Rhodes recipients from Canada and you don't really see a lot of people who look like you, it's difficult for you to think that, you know, I can win this and I'm so confident about it. Well, no one applies with the idea that they will actually win it because of just the prestige of the scholarship and the fact that, you know, there's such slight chances that you might be the selected candidate out of the 11 in Canada who are selected. So, um, it's, it's a tough, um, decision to make. And of course it comes with its set of, you know, responsibilities to prepare and, um, manage to provide, you know, the best application possible. Um, but I was ready to make that commitment and in the end it paid off. So I'm not really complaining. That's, that's great. And what are you going to pursue at Oxford? So at Oxford, I hope to pursue, um, right now I applied for a master's in global governance and diplomacy. 
and in my second year. So essentially the Rhodes Scholarship finances studies for up to two uh, perhaps three years if you apply for an extra year, but usually it's two years. And um, in the UK, they are, there are one-year masters and also two years, you know, MPhils. And you can also apply to start your uh, DPhil, which is your PhD. Um, some people come out with master's degrees already and they want to apply for a DPhil so they can do that for up to three years. And um, for others who are just coming off of undergraduate studies, uh, you can either apply for a second BA or um, you can also apply for a single master, a single year master or two years. So the route that I decided to take was um, I want to do two one-year masters consecutively. Um, So the first one I would do is global governance and diplomacy and this has always been something that uh, I've been interested in. I want to work in the future in um, foreign affairs and diplomacy. So this is something that I would say would be very valuable for my future career. And the second one year master that I would hope to do is a master's of public policy as someone that eventually wants to engage in political life and public policy, I think this would be also something that would be very um, important uh, for me to undertake. It would uh, be a very formative experience academically, but also professionally, and uh, especially do it at Oxford. It's uh, such a wonderful program with such a diverse cohort, and uh, I really hope to benefit from this opportunity. That's really interesting, Abdel. And in the Montreal community contact, you said that your education must be a vehicle towards dismantling global systems of oppression and justice. Um, can you elaborate on what you meant? Of course. And I think that for me, my purpose in life really is to live a life that benefits the next person. So by that, I mean, everything that I do, I hope to really blaze a trail for the next person and pave the way for people who would be able to um, not face the same barriers that I potentially faced. So of course, um, the example of, you know, applying for the Rhodes Scholarship is comes to mind because, you know, when you're applying and you notice that, for example, out of all the recipients in Quebec in the past years, there was no one that was black and you know you're the your black student applying of course this can be a barrier for you because you don't necessarily relate or think that this could be for you but um having managed to win this scholarship and be the selected candidate i hope that you know for the next years when a black student at mcgill or elsewhere will be able to look at that website and see someone who studied political science and african studies and they happen to be doing that as well and they happen to see that i come from an immigrant background and you know i'm african i'm black and you know they could potentially relate to that and if that could help them apply and that could motivate them to reach out to me for advice I would love to be that person for them and for me this is what this is what motivates me in life Um, I want to benefit from certain opportunities and break barriers and um, hope to pave the way for other people to follow through and lift as I climb so I think it's really important in this society where there's so many systemic barriers that once we're able to be the one person that 
um, goes through the small crack to go up the ladder that we don't forget where we come from. And we understand that we're not just here because of our personal merit, but because we were able to somehow maybe through luck or through circumstances be able to overcome these barriers, but it doesn't mean that they don't exist. And we can't look at people who don't get in the same positions as us, as people who are lazy and who don't work hard enough um, while neglecting, you know, those very real barriers that um, not everyone is able to overcome. And once we're able to get in those positions of power and privilege, um, it is our duty to look back and to say, okay, what can I do to make sure that those barriers don't exist in the first place? And everyone that has the potential and the intellectual capacity, the physical capacity to get where they want to be in life can do it uh, just through, you know, their will and um, they, they can get in positions that they deserve um, without you know um any hardship that isn't uh necessary um at that very moment so for me this is the mentality that i have and i hope um to be able to get in certain positions where i'll be able to um have the capacity to dismantle those systems of oppression and injustice that do exist in this world and i believe that for a lot of it it's a matter of will and having the capacity to uh, make people understand that, you know, as human beings, there's no need for us to keep upholding the status quo of the world because it is so detrimental to the potential that we have as a common humanity to go towards, you know, a better world where um, there's better life chances for everyone. And it's not something that's a utopia. It can be a reality for most of us. Thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much, Mathieu. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for this edition of MIR Meets. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at McGill International Review for more up-to-date insight and analysis of global issues and international affairs.